This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast Birth Mother's Day episode. So as of, you know, as of this episode coming out, Birth Mother's Day is this coming Saturday, but we are celebrating now and I'm super excited about it. We're, you know, usually for Birth Mother's Day, I do like a really sweet episode with some, with a good story and, you know, this has a good story, but I'm just going to take this opportunity to shed light on a really hard issue. Um, so my first interview is going to be with Josh Bryant. So he's an attorney, an adoption ethicist, and adoption reform advocate in Northwest Arkansas. He spent several years practicing family law in which he did adoptions on behalf of adoptive parents. And he's also an adoptive father of two children. So he's experienced adoption from that perspective as well. And he's going to talk to us about um, this really hard issue that I'm alluding to. And, you know, partially to tell you guys about this and partially to plug my email list, I'm going to read you something that I wrote for my email subscribers. And you can subscribe at theadoptivemompodcast.com slash email. You're going to get a new um, just little note from me every Monday morning. You're going to have links to the episode. And I usually share stuff in there that I don't really share anywhere else, including some photos that I don't share on social media or whatever else. But this is something I wrote for that. So in this episode, we're celebrating Birth Mother's Day by shedding some light on a really hard issue, how birth mamas can often be extremely taken advantage of, even to the point where it is legally becoming a human trafficking issue. This unfortunately isn't even all that rare. Low-income women are being directly targeted when they become pregnant. Unethical agencies and adoption attorneys have employees who will offer under-the-table cash for babies without ensuring that these birth moms know their rights. We've seen women who don't speak good English be misinformed that they're entering an open adoption, and then after they sign the papers, they find out that they can never see their child again. We're seeing women who are being told that they're going to be they'll be arrested if they change their mind and decide to parent. We've seen pregnant women flown illegally into the country to give birth and adopt out their child and then stranded without a passport or a visa or any help getting back to their home and their families. It's sickening and it's happening right under our noses. And much like how the sex trafficking industry is only responding to supply and demand, adoptions are too. When people indulge in coerced sexual activity, they may think they are not doing anything wrong since they're simply, quote, paying money for a service rendered. We know, though, that if they weren't buying, no one would be selling. In adoptions, this responsibility is on us, the adoptive parents. When we turn a blind eye to red flags in our adoptions, we're participating in this supply and demand. It's on us to ensure that our adoptions are ethical and that our children's birth mamas are being taken care of in the process. Let's spread the word and be sure to honor our birth moms this Saturday with letters, gifts, photos, prayers, thoughts, kind words about them to our children or whatever works best for your family. Let's show our children that we aren't ashamed or embarrassed or bitter about such an important part of who they are biologically. Let's do better, mamas. So um, like I said, that's something I wrote for my email list. And I just want that to be the transition into my interview with Josh. All 
All right, everyone. Welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. And this is our birth mom episode. I know I said that in the intro, but I'm pretty excited about um, just the, the the guests that we have on this episode. And we're going to be talking about some pretty hard topics, but some really important ones that us as an adoptive moms um, that we need to know about, that we need to be aware about. And um, and those are those are sometimes hard pills to swallow. And so I'm, I'm excited about this, but just know that everything we talk about in this episode is really to support the people who brought our children life. And um, that is... That's just so important. But on that note, I want to welcome my guest today. So hi, Josh. How's it going? Doing well. How are you? I am. I'm pretty good. I'm excited about, you know, birth Mother's Day and Mother's Day because that means I get a break, right? That's that's how that works. (laughs) That's awesome. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But just take a second and tell us about your family and who you are and what you do. Sure. Yeah. My name is Josh Bryant. I'm an attorney uh, in Northwest Arkansas. I do a little bit of everything, but uh, also had a family practice for several years, which I uh, represented uh, usually uh, people doing step-parent adoption, so usually representing the step-parents, but did did several adoptions that way. Um, Also an adopted father. I've adopted two children uh, in our family. uh, my, My wife's name is Megan and uh, so yeah, we're raising our family uh, with two adopted kiddos and a biological kid uh, right here in Northwest Arkansas. That's awesome. And um, how old are your how old are your adopted kids and bio kid? So our biological son, he is nine, and then our uh, our daughter uh, we adopted. She is six now, and then we have a two year old that we've also adopted. Okay, so they're yeah, they're nice and spread out. You're not like yeah. going fully crazy, but you know. <laughs> we we did the college math to make sure we only had one in college at a time. Hopefully, so. Oh man, we'll have three in college at the same time. So there you go. I'm uh I'm quite jealous of that. That's gonna be <laughs> real expensive. Um, so and also your children are both Marshallese, correct? Yes, they are. And so that you know, I know that a lot of what you do with your with with this this bill that has recently passed and just the the work that you do advocating for birth moms has a lot to do with Marshallese um, women and how they've been mistreated in the past. But it, it goes for everyone too, right? Not just not just that people group. Sure. Yeah, it's most visible within the Marshallese community. There's been a lot more uh, press and a lot of more talk about uh, the uh, the abuses within the Marshallese community. But we've also uh, through the course of passing this bill and getting uh, just more evidence of things that are going on that necessitated some legislative change. Uh, We've come across uh, problems in a whole lot of ethnic communities, including just Caucasian communities where there have been abuses going on. And as we've also discovered, it's not just happening in Arkansas, it's happening all over the country. And so there's there's a lot of reform that needs to happen. And uh, hopefully we can continue working just to get get that reform done in Arkansas. And then maybe some other states will catch on. So Absolutely. And I want to get into all of that. So, I mean, uh, listeners, that's a little bit of a teaser for you. But, Josh, I would I would love for you to start just at the beginning and tell us why why and how this became a passion for you. Where did you see the need at first? So at, when we adopted our daughter, there were a couple of red flags, but uh, just things that I said, you know what, I'm just not going to I don't it's probably nothing. So I'm just going to let it slide. I'm not going to make an issue of this. Um and then several years later, uh, there was an article that came out uh, that talked about uh, some abuses that were happening within the Marshallese community. And at the time, I remember thinking, well, that's just a one off. That was one one case that went bad. And, you know, you're never going to have 100 uh, percent perfection. So, you know, that's, that's probably just one case. Um, and so then we adopted our son. Um, and again, everything seemed to be legit uh, at the time. And then shortly after we adopted our son is when we really started hearing a lot of uh, talk about some of the problems that were going on in uh, Marshallese adoptions. 
and so the more I started researching it, the more I learned about some of the abuses to the extent that at one point um, it just became clear that I needed to do something about it. And so we started uh, talking to people and, and talking publicly about uh, needing some adoption reform. And it was strange because our, our son's birth mother reached out to us and, and she said, well, I just want to say thanks for talking about this. This is an issue that needs to be discussed. And it was a little bit out of character for her. And so I asked her uh, just some questions about her circumstances at the time that she decided that she was going to place a child up for adoption. And uh, it was then that we learned that the story that we were told as adoptive parents was not uh, what actually happened and that mm. we were kind of duped into into adopting. And, um, you know, we're kind of a mixed bag of emotions there when uh, you love your son and, and uh, are glad that, that he's part of your family, uh, but to learn uh, that the circumstances of that adoption were uh, shady at best. Um, just one of those things that kind of kind of created just, a, like I said, a mixed bag of emotions uh, for that circumstance. So fueled the passion even more at that point. We were already working on legislation by that point, but that certainly uh, fueled a passion that, that said, uh, this has got to stop. We've got to we've got to do something about it. We've got to get some legislation passed. Absolutely. And so you you know you worked with some other people, including um, including people at Shared Beginnings, just to to really fine tune this and figure out what, what where, the, where the need actually was and how um, how this bill could help, um, what legally could be done to help, and what was you know something that just needed to change within the adoptive community. Um, and so what were what were some of those big red flags? What were some of the like just really bad things that are happening? You know, I know that, um, you know, we, we throw around words like human trafficking and those seem extreme, but that's exactly what's going on. Right. To a large degree. Yes. I mean, there are probably a lot of cases in which it's not human trafficking in which, the, you know, the conversation about an adoption is initiated by a biological family. Um but there are also a lot of cases uh, in which those conversations are initiated by somebody unrelated to the biological family uh, in terms of actually going out and soliciting a pregnant woman uh, and offering cash uh, to go to a lawyer's office and place a child up for adoption or even go to an agency and place a child up for adoption. Uh, and the, the person who makes that offer uh, obviously always has some sort of benefit, uh, something to gain from that. Uh, and, and so – you know that's that's probably the first step in a process uh, in which an adoption uh, goes very unethically uh, from that point forward. Um, after, if that's the way the adoption starts, it's really not a great way uh, that it's going to end for the biological family. Yeah, that's a really nice way to put that too. <laughs> um, yeah, there there's obviously just so much going on there, and so. Um, like I said, just what are what are some of those what are some of those red flags of what of what you see? So if I'm an adoptive mom and I'm entering what I think is an ethical adoption, what are some of the things that I need to be looking for that tell me that it's not? So if you're going through a private attorney to do the adoption as opposed to an agency or through the Department of Human Services, whatever your state equivalent is, uh, you know one of the things you need to look out for is whether or not there are two attorneys involved in this case. Uh, when there's one attorney kind of representing both sides, that generates a conflict of interests, um, and it's going to be questionable where that attorney's loyalties lie. Uh, do they lie with you as the adoptive parents who are 
paying the bill uh, and uh, who will go to court with this attorney in order to finalize the adoption? Or do they lie with the biological mother? Uh, and we've seen it go both ways, uh, especially when a mother uh, kind of gets hooked uh, and, and gets uh, becomes dependent on these payments from uh, adoptive families through these attorneys. They'll place three, four, five children up for adoption over the course of four, five, six years. Uh, and so when that happens, these attorneys, and I don't mean to sound crass, but these attorneys see these biological women as a supply chain uh, oftentimes. You've got different sets of adoptive parents for every one of these kids. So from the attorney's perspective, that adoptive family may bring me $10,000, but this biological mother is bringing me 60 uh, or 70 or 80. And so now we're in a a position where obviously this attorney's loyalties are going to lean more towards this biological mother, and that's going to create problems for the adoptive family that they really don't have somebody looking out for their best interests. At the same time, uh, that person's really not looking out for the biological mother's best interest either. They're looking out for their own. Uh, and, and so you're, you're left in a situation where regardless of the situation, the biological mother just doesn't have a voice in the process. Uh, this may not have been a, a voluntary choice. If she wants to change her mind uh, and parent her child, uh, she doesn't have anybody to speak up for her and say, here's what we're going to do uh, to make that happen. And so uh, that's, that's probably the first thing that I would look for. You know, I'd want to know how the mother came to this position or this point of wanting to make an adoption plan. But then make sure that that mother uh, and if there's a father in the picture, that that father has uh, a voice uh, in in this whole process. Absolutely. Um, and I think that that's that's a really important aspect that is often overlooked, because I think that, you know, as someone who, you know, we didn't do private adoption, we went through the foster care system. And so in my mind, I obviously understand it's not an easy transaction. That's not what I'm saying. But I just mean it's like. It seems like it could be simple where you pay a bill and then at the end of the time, you know, you have your baby and you can support your birth mom and whatever else. But what are the things that are supposed to be happening when you when you pay your attorney that money? Well, so you're you're paying that attorney to represent you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, ultimately, that's your attorney. That's not her attorney. Uh, and the attorneys that I'm familiar with that I've kind of talked to uh, that their practice is not uh, the most ethical in the world, in, in my opinion, um, the ones that I've talked to make their biological mom sign a document that says, you understand, I'm not your lawyer. Uh, I don't represent you in this. Uh, and so that, I mean, that's that's probably the uh, the number one area where they start to get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so – um, what the attorney should be doing, though, uh, as far as doing everything they can to help that biological mother, you know, there needs to be somebody who can help that biological mother go to the doctor and make sure that those doctor bills are paid. We've seen biological mothers come out on the other end of an adoption with a debt to a hospital or to a doctor's office that should have been taken care of through the adoption process. And so uh, that obviously sets them up for future failure uh, if they are in a position where they, they just can't afford that, you know, fifteen twenty thousand dollars worth of of debt um so that that needs to be taking place we need to make sure that that you know her bills uh, that are reasonably related to the adoption or to the pregnancy are paid as long as state law allows that and so you know obviously we've got to have a place to live for the health of the child we've got to be able to drive to uh, work uh, and to the doctor's offices need lights on need heat and air need food on the table need prenatal care all of those things 
uh, we would hope that our attorneys at that point are taking care of those things. We're finding out that that's just not necessarily the case all the time. Mm-hmm. So that kind of uh, that kind of enters this bill that that we're talking about, or just really your initiative in general. So I mean, I don't want to limit it just to the scope of the the legislation that's recently passed, but more just your your advocacy in general. So what has that looked like, and what what led us to the place of getting this bill passed? So, uh, you know, I worked with uh, a couple of people who were intimately involved with Shared Beginnings. Uh, we, we were probably – we sat down and, and kind of talked through the uh, the necessity of seeing some systematic change in how adoptions are done. And we kind of started brainstorming and putting some ideas together. Uh, and then a legislator came out uh, with a proposed fix to the adoption problem because it uh, was certainly becoming more and more of an issue. Um, but it was a very narrowly tailored solution. And it was one that probably wouldn't have withstood constitutional scrutiny. It basically would have said that the Marshallese government has to sign off on any uh, Marshallese adoption in the state of Arkansas. Uh, and you can't single out an ethnicity in law. Uh, and so it probably wouldn't have, have wouldn't have held up under under judicial scrutiny. But uh, so we met with that legislator, and then it just kind of blossomed from there. Met with other legislators, met with other adoption practitioners, met with judges who hear uh, a lot of adoptions. Just kind of talked through what the biggest concerns were, uh, and brainstormed what some systematic changes uh, could be that would would fix those problems. And we've we've met with federal law enforcement and uh, just a wide variety of people um, that that could be stakeholders in this legislation, and started putting it together. And it was a it was a more than a year uh, process of getting a draft on paper and getting it amended and putting it back in front of people and changing things here and there before uh, we got it in front of the General Assembly here in Arkansas uh, just this past January to get it get it going in hopes that it would pass. And so what are, I mean, some of the problems that this is fixing are um, are what we've already talked about, but I know that there are there are other things too, that when we're talking about things like human trafficking, you know, we're, we're talking about stepping around immigration stuff, we're talking about, tell, you know, giving women false messages about the legality of their adoption. Um, we're talking about making, you know, not, not having a translator, a proper translator there to help these women understand. And, and that's, of course, if it's, if it's um, someone who is not, a, wasn't born in the United States, some, someone that's part of a different ethnicity or nationality. Um, but what are some of the things that outside of those things, or maybe I'm asking you to expand on those issues that this bill is hopefully going to fix or um, right. head in that direction? Yeah. So the bill that passed uh, stopped, uh, should stop uh, by criminal sanction, the practice of going up to a pregnant woman and offering her cash uh, if uh, that person can either adopt the child or uh, place the child up for adoption, whether they're licensed to do so or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it turns that, that uh, conduct into a felony offense in Arkansas. Uh, there was some ob- objections to, you know, can I not Uh, go and tell her that her expenses would be paid if she decided to place her child up for adoption. Yes, you can still do that. uh, But going up and say, I'll give you cash or I'll buy you a car or something like that, that, that's not uh, legal. And then it also expands the definition of human trafficking to say uh, that if you force somebody to place their child up for adoption by any means, whether it's physical or coercive or anything like that, or you uh, participate in the transport, the harboring, uh, of a pregnant woman for the sole purpose of placing a child up for adoption, that that would be considered human trafficking and punishable as human trafficking. The rest of the bill that we started with was designed to have some systemic fixes. So number one, we had a problem with people from outside of Arkansas, both biological parents and 
adoptive parents meeting in Arkansas to effectuate adoption. And under those circumstances, Arkansas probably doesn't have jurisdiction to hear the case. And so we wanted some jurisdictional fixes to make sure Arkansas has a legitimate claim to adjudicate this particular adoption. Uh, we certainly wanted some procedural changes that would fix those conflicts of interest that we've talked about. And so initially we started off by requiring two attorneys on the case where the adoptive parents would pay for an attorney to represent the best interests of the biological parents and ensure that this was a decision that this family had reached uh, in a voluntary way and that they knew um, exactly what they were getting themselves into. Um, ultimately, we had to take that out of there and we tried to push forward uh, legislation that would require uh, attorneys who work on both sides of the case to be a little bit more uh, robust in how they effectuate the birth parents consent uh, and, and make them go through all these different alternatives for the birth mom, make sure they had a good translator if the birth mother and father didn't speak good English, uh, make sure that this was a free and voluntary choice, that nobody promised them anything, make sure they understand their legal rights. Um, so we certainly need to need to do something about the conflicts of interest, whether that requires another attorney or it re requires a more robust consent. Um, and, the, you know, there are a few other things uh, trying to, again, make sure that we have translators involved when there's uh, not a good um, – uh, somebody who speaks good English on both sides. wanted to make sure – we hoped that we would at least get to get these adoption petitions filed pre-birth so that a judge would have immediate oversight rather than Monday morning, Monday morning quarterbacking the process – uh, from the bench and when somebody has a baby in their hands that they think they're going to go home with and then leave the judge with the option of either turning a blind eye to, to obvious legal violations or tearing another family apart by taking that adopted child away from the adopted family because the adoption was not done properly. So um, that ended up not working. We weren't able to do a, a, a pre-birth filing. So uh, these are some of the, the things that, that we want to go through and fix, these systemic changes that would stop um, or at least provide some oversight to the fact that uh, some of these abuses were going on. Of course, uh, you can always follow Bob Woodward's advice, follow the money. Uh, well, in these adoptions, it was hard to do so uh, because, number one, the adoption records are sealed, and number two, uh, the, the way these attorneys were, were preparing these expense reports, it was just kind of a blanket item that said birth mother expenses, but there was no list of what was paid under that, that uh, line item in the expense report. And so when we started looking into that and, and getting accountings from some of these attorneys on behalf of adoptive families, we would see bail bond and gaming systems and birthday parties and all sorts of other stuff that we're going to, to pay for uh, going to these birth parents uh, that aren't reasonably related to the adoption uh, or to the pregnancy. And so uh, tr trying to provide a little bit of transparency to how the money flows is another another thing that we hope uh, some of our legislative proposals will fix. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think that now that we know a little bit about what this bill fixes, what it is, what it does, I want to talk about, you know, why it matters, why it matters, especially to us, you know, the pe the majority of the people listening are going to be adoptive moms. And, you know, it's it's a really gross thought to say that just morality wouldn't take care of why we care. But sometimes it doesn't, especially when there's misunderstandings, or when we don't see the effects or what's going on, or or how we play a part in this. So, so what are the answers to some of those questions? Why does it matter for adoptive families? And how can we how can we help? You know, the, you know, you you touched on kind of the the obvious one was the, just the morality of the situation. But 
not only the, the morality of the situation, but having to deal with the effects of the immorality of the situation. Uh, a colleague of mine talked to one uh, adoptive family, um, and uh, he, this, this person was, was doing some investigating and trying to get some, some facts around what was going on. And one of the things that they asked this person was, how do I, as an adoptive mother, tell my child when she's old enough to understand that she may be a victim of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Uh, how wow. do I how do I deal with that? And ultimately, this stuff is all over the Internet. And kids, my five-year-old, uh, our six-year-old daughter knows how to use the Internet just about as well as I do, if not better. <laughs> and so she's going she's gonna to get out there one day and see all these stories. How am I going to explain to her that she might have been that victim of human trafficking or that my son may have been a victim of human trafficking? So th- these are conversations that we're going to have to have at some point, uh, and that's a difficult conversation to have, and I'm not exactly sure – I have the answer to that question about how we how we broach that subject uh, or how we answer that question when when our children ask us that. And so that, that might be the more obvious of it. But I think we also have to understand that it's not just birth mothers that are hurt here. It's also adoptive families that are hurt mm-hmm. um, through these conflicts of interest um, where it has become most pronounced is where an attorney has represented uh, or placed a child up for adoption multiple times for the same biological mother, um, something goes wrong in the process because the attorney gets comfortable or is just trying to take care of that biological mother so that they can continue to place the, her children up for adoption. And in the meantime, adoptive families either, you know, there's one case that's, that's been pretty well publicized in which uh, the attorney didn't even verify that the mother was pregnant. And so this adoptive family went through seven months of an adoption plan uh, after having tried in vitro fertilization and natural childbirth, all sorts of other things to start a family and failed. They get to three days before the due date and they're told, oops, sorry, I didn't verify she was pregnant and there is no baby. Uh, After they'd named this child, had fixed the nursery up, had had uh, baby showers and all this other stuff, uh, just incredibly painful experience for them. And so, and then that's not to, to mention the fact that because this is a marketplace now, it's not a means of child welfare, it's turned it into a marketplace. Mm-hmm. Now we've got these the, these agents who are coming in and stealing away, for lack of a better term, these biological mothers from an adoption plan. And so you as an adoptive parent could get into this adoption plan be in it for months at a time, spend thousands and thousands of dollars, and then the birth mother decide, well, I'm going to go to another attorney and place this child up for adoption to a different family um, because they can get more money or because some agent is pressuring them to do so so that the agent gets more money. And so in in all of those cases, it's the adoptive families that are hurt. It's not just the biological parents who experience some of the negative uh, impacts of these these immoral actions. And I think that that's that's something that, you know, you don't even – think about going in because I think that you, you feel like the system's going to catch you. You feel like the system's going to, um, and I don't mean catch you like you're doing something wrong. I mean, be there to catch you when, when something falls apart or when something falls through or something's not right. And when it's part of the system that's, that's wrong, you know, that's a really scary thought, but talk to me about the message that it sends to these birth moms when it seems like we as adoptive parents don't care. Yeah. You know, I think part of it, when adopt a lot of times adoptive families are so excited about the chance uh, and the prospect of adopting a child that they're blinded to some of these other things uh, that they just don't see it because they don't want to see it and i've had adoptive parents tell me that they said you know i was just blinded by the fact that i was going to finally get to have a family and finally get to have a child that 
the red flags that did pop up, uh, they I kind of dismissed them as, oh well, that's pr- it's probably nothing. It, I did that, uh, and so, um, you, you know, ultimately the message that it sends that that may not be the message that we intend to send that we just don't care about these things happening, but that may be the message that the biological parents hear. Um, and as a result, um, it puts them in a situation where their own self-esteem goes down, uh, that the value of human life can be measured monetarily uh, when we know it, it's, it's far more valuable than anything money could ever purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they turn into um, this situation, they get into this situation where they're so dependent on receiving these payments. I mean, adoptive families – go into an adoption a lot of time expecting to spend forty or fifty thousand dollars and so when it's thirty thousand dollars it sounds great but of that thirty thousand dollars fifteen eighteen thousand dollars of it goes to these uh, biological women that's enough to pull them unilaterally out of the federal federal poverty line they would no longer qualify for state benefits at that point uh, based on how much money they're receiving from an adoption so they get stuck in that cycle of continually getting pregnant and placing a child up for adoption and even sometimes learn that this is an acceptable uh, and a reasonable way to earn a living uh, is just getting pregnant and placing children up for adoption. And and so um, when we aren't paying attention as adoptive parents to those situations, that's the kind of message it sends and that's the kind of the, the, the impact that it ultimately has. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's not stuff that we want to play with, especially as believers, you know, we want to send it. I know that not everyone listening is a believer, but as, as a believer myself, like that's something that I would never want to portray to, um, to, to anyone, honestly, just that, that I don't value their life only what they can do for me or that I don't care if they're being mistreated as long as I benefit though. That's, that's really gross to think about. Um, so, you know, we've talked about before we get into these closing questions, you know, we've talked about this bill. And we've talked about what it's doing for Arkansas. But what what are the changes that you see he- our entire country heading toward? And I know that this is this bill has been seen by many as a step in the right direction for the entire country. And I know that this isn't, you know, isolated to just Arkansas. There's stuff like this happening elsewhere. But what if, you know, if you could do some projection for us, where do you where do you see adoptions headed because of um, these legal issues? Well, I think because of the the lack of ethical standards across the adoption community nationwide, uh, we're starting to see uh, adoption just become less and less of an alternative. Uh, and uh, you know, the number of kids in foster care continue to rise. The number of adoptions continue to fall. Uh, and there was actually an article written by a social worker in a national journal uh, where they did some research and come to find out the reason why perspective adoptive parents are saying, no, we've changed our mind, we're not going to do this, is because they don't feel like an adoption can be ethically done anymore, uh, mm-hmm. that there's just no ethical way to do it. Um, and so without substan- substantial and substantive and procedural changes to how we do adoptions in the United States, where we send it back uh, to being a means of child welfare rather than as a marketplace, um, until we see that, if we don't see that, I'm afraid what we're going to see is adoption continue to dwindle uh, until we have uh, even more of a child welfare crisis than we have right now. Um, But I'm hopeful uh, that Arkansas is kind of setting the tone and setting the bar uh, for some other states. 
I'm hoping that some other states will see what Arkansas does and uh, start moving in the same direction and that as adoption practitioners, both as attorneys and uh, social workers and agencies and, uh, you know, anybody involved in that process, that we'll get to a point where we can say, here are some minimum practices, standards of practice that we're going to make our ethical norms Mm -hmm. um, and and that if you're not going to follow those, then you're not going to practice in this area. Um, and you're not going to do adoptions. You're not going to facilitate adoptions. Um, and in, we've, we've got to see that happen. And I'm hoping that that's what uh, ultimately from a na- national perspective, this legislation will will bring about. Uh, yeah. And I mean, all of that, like all of that sounds really great. And I think that as adoptive as adoptive parents, the ones of us listening, you know, I want to encourage you guys to do your research and to support, um, you know, if you're not in Arkansas, which I know many of you are not. Um but just support efforts like this support support um support taking care of our children's birth mothers like that is so incredibly important and for us to imply to our children that a such a pivotal part of who they are doesn't matter is is so destructive and i know that josh you know you would agree with that too and that's part of why you mm-hmm. you champion for for birth moms as an adoptive father um so you know on that note can we get into some of these closing questions yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what do you wish you had known at the beginning of this journey? So, uh, as an adoptive father, I wish I had known, especially when we talk about uh, the fact that you know my family is multinational uh, at this point, that there would be racial uh, issues involved. Uh, you know, I, I kind of naively at the time thought, uh, well, nobody will care. Uh, you know, my children will be too young to understand, um, and nobody's really going to care uh, in this day and age that my children aren't white. Um, both of those turned out to not be true. Uh, I think our daughter was four when she first asked, why is my skin brown and yours white? Uh, and started asking some very uh, deep uh, and precocious questions about racial issues uh, for a four-year-old. Um, and so those were things that we had to navigate, but then also just even uh, a little bit of bias within our own family that uh, this child um, is a different ethnicity, um, you know, and not not anything that was overt, but just some statements here and there that would uh, would suggest a racial bias um, that I wasn't really expecting. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I wish I'd have known beforehand that those racial issues would come up and that would we'd have to deal with them. And I wish I would have dealt with them beforehand rather than afterwards. So, yeah. Just the proactive versus reactive. And that's so hard as yeah. adoptive parents. You know, I've talked to lots of adoptive uh, moms who have children that are a different ethnicity than them. And they just, you know, the, the, the resounding common is that we just don't know what to do until it's already happened. And then, yeah. so yeah, definitely just doing that research and talking to people and figuring out um, how to handle it. And, you know, my next question is, what do you wish you had done differently? And I know that those, ki- those two kind of go together, but you, do you have a different answer for that? Sure. Yeah. You know, so I wish I would have done some more contextual research. You know, I mean, there's so many different avenues to adopt. Um, and again, I was so excited about adopting a child and had had a heart for adoption for so long that, um, you know, it was kind of, OK, I'm just we're going to adopt a child. And, and that was kind of the end of the inquiry. Um, I think had I gotten into the weeds a little bit more um, and started researching adoptions in this one small insular community in northwest Arkansas, um, I would have, it wouldn't have taken much for me to find um, 
some news stories already circulating at that time, mainly out of Hawaii, but even out of some other states and, and maybe a couple here in, even in Arkansas, would have found some stories that would have given me pause uh, in continuing with that particular adoption plan. So wish I'd have done a little bit more research uh, before I got into it. For sure. So what is your favorite way that your uh, your people supported you through your adoption journey? Uh you know, what supported me the most was when people treated me no different than they would have treated me had uh, these children been biological. Mm. Um, when people, you know, we brought a, brought a child home from the hospital and there were a week's worth of meals uh, planned for us and there being baby showers and uh, just treating it no differently. I think that was the biggest area of support, um, especially in light of some of the racial things that we ended up coming to uh, had to deal with by day two uh, of, uh, of our kids' lives. And so, uh, you know, treating it as, as nothing different uh, uh, was, was a big means of support for us. Love that. And I love how that's, that's, that's such a like, good umbrella, just to, you know, all the things that you would do for a, a so-called normal uh, baby, you would do for an adoption. I love that. Yeah. Um, but, the, you know, the flip side of that is always, what do you, how have you felt hurt or misunderstood by your people through this process? <laughs> well, those instances in which... Uh, it wasn't treated just like a normal kid. Uh, those instances in which, um, y- you know, there was even active opposition uh, to uh, us going into an adoption plan that, um, you know, statements that this child would be abnormal or that this child would have difficulties that we couldn't handle or that uh, this child wouldn't be accepted uh, in in the community or, um, you know, you're going to get those weird looks when you're with a child that doesn't look anything like you. Uh, you know, those types of things um, certainly were, were part of the misunderstanding, I think, that a lot of people had. And, and it got to that lack of support um, that in and of itself can be hurtful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so if you could just if you sum it all up. What is your greatest piece of advice or encouragement to adoptive moms really to, you know, to have different feelings or to have a different regard for their birth moms? Yeah. So a couple of things. Number one, trust your gut. Um, You know, there are those times in which there seem to be red flags. uh, Don't uh, necessarily just automatically dismiss those Mm -hmm. uh, as probably nothings. Uh, So trust your gut on that. And then if you're going to uh, adopt through an agency or uh, through a private attorney, uh, just make sure your birth mother has a voice. Make sure she's being listened to. Um, make sure she understands she has a choice. Uh, you know, we don't want to get so attached before birth to the idea of adopting this child uh, that we disregard her voice uh, or we get angry when she uses that voice to make a choice that we would disagree with, that, that you know, she wants to parent the child and we don't want her to and we're we're going to ignore that. So, you know, ultimately there are, tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of kids that are available for adoption right here in the United States right now. Um, and if this one doesn't work, if this birth mom makes that decision, very difficult decision um, to continue to parent this child rather than place this child up for adoption, we need to make sure she's got a voice um, in, in that regard and has a choice. So, you know, ask your attorney, ask your agency about whether they have, uh, you know, uh, private attorneys available for them that are separate from the agency, that are separate from your attorney. Um, and, and that somebody's actually looking out for her best interest and not just trying to make sure that this adoption succeeds. Yes. Oh, good stuff, Josh. And so where can we, where can we follow along with your, your activism and with your, um, 
I don't know, your, your just your efforts to rectify some of the situations we've gotten ourselves into, you know, social media or blog or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So you can certainly find me on uh, Facebook. I've got a page set up on Facebook. It's, uh, I think, facebook.com slash Josh Bryant page. Um, so, yeah, you could you could go there. Um, I'm certainly posting about adoption there pretty frequently. Uh, my website uh, is josh-bryant.com, so josh-bryant.com. You can go there. There's always uh, some adoption stuff on there. You know, things have kind of taken, uh, kind of died down for a little bit, uh, but they won't they won't rest for long. Uh, we'll be in interim study here pretty quick, and there's going to be a lot of conversations being had um, about how we fix some of the problems that we're seeing uh, here in Arkansas, and we'll be in Little Rock probably six or eight times over the next couple of years trying to get that legislation prepared so that when the next General Assembly rolls around in 2021, that we'll have a bill that everybody can support uh, and get behind quickly and, and, and pass that fix those systemic issues. So uh, we'll be posting about that pretty frequently, both on the website and on Facebook and all that stuff. So definitely good places to follow what's going on. Well, good stuff. And you guys, I will have links to all of those things on the show notes, but um, thank you so much, Josh, for joining us and for educating us on such an important issue. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, guys. So like I said, you know, that was some really hard stuff, but I think that we as adoptive families and support systems, we need to know these things and we need to do our part to prevent them from continuing. Um, and that kind of tees up for my next interview. So I'm really excited about it. Um, it's with my mom, Andrea McCurdy and Michelle Monty from shared beginnings. So mom and Michelle are no rookies to the podcast. Um, they each have their own episode back in season one, but since their episodes, they've actually partnered up to launch shared beginnings, which is a nonprofit whose goal is to support birth moms with legal help, life skills, help, and more. I love both of their hearts for this issue. And both of them have different reasons behind their motivation for this initiative And I can't wait for you guys to hear all about it. And so this is shared beginnings has kind of happened since we've last talked to you guys on the podcast. And so it's been quick, but you guys have done a lot in a really short amount of time. And I think that that's really awesome. But before we get into that stuff, tell us what shared beginnings is. Sure. So Shared Beginnings exists to protect, serve, and support expectant moms that are seeking to make an adoption plan for their child or children. And so as as two non-birth moms, this is really interesting that you both kind of got into this. Um, you know, Michelle, you're an adoptive mom. And mom, you're not an adoptive mom. You're just like a regular mom. <laughs> but you guys both have such a heart for this. Um, what what were the things that you saw going on in our world that made you want to do something like this? Sure. So Shared Beginnings um, primarily serves expectant moms in the Northwest Arkansas area. And um, Andrea and I did a little bit of legwork and research and found out that there are over 400 private adoptions just in our two counties up here in Northwest Arkansas um, per year. And most of those 400 adoptions, the expectant moms don't receive a lot of um, support, social services, connections. Really what we're finding most of our clients now, um, this is not their first adoption plan. So no one took the time to pour into them and get them to a stable point in life so that this wasn't um, like where they ran to when they came came to in a crisis situation. So um, 
Personally, I have three adopted kids. Two of them were private adoptions, and we realized just through the first one that our birth mom hadn't gotten any access to medical care. She hadn't gotten connected to other social services. She really just wasn't at a better spot in life than when she had come uh, to the decision to make an adoption plan. So the second time around, I essentially acted as her advocate, took her to those healthcare appointments, got her um, set up with some other social services locally, um, and she hasn't had to make an adoption plan since then. And that's that's the purpose of Shared Beginnings is helping get these expectant moms and their families to a point of stability. Definitely. And so what about what about you? I mean, this is I feel like you're more of the wild card just because you're not an adoptive mom uh, and you've, you've been present through our story, definitely. But, um, it's been really cool to see this because Michelle, you know, you were my friend and obviously you're my mom and you two did not know each other. And I feel a little, I mean, I feel some pride that I connected you guys, but it just, it cracks me up because I'm like, my friend and my mom are working together and now they have a nonprofit and it just is like, it's not for adoption. I mean, it is for adoption, but it's just really cool how God works. But I want to know why this has been important for you. Well, I think watching y'all go through your story with adoption and also just professionally, I get calls probably three or four a week of single parents that are pregnant, uh, wondering how to make the, how to, what choice to make and how to make that choice. And so I represent a lot of a lot of parents uh, placing their kids for ad- private adoptions. And the more um, I started meeting with other agencies in the area and then and talking to Michelle as well, we realized that's kind of the gap. That's the legal gap as well, is that um, we have a lot of birth mothers that aren't legally represented. So they don't have the social support like Michelle was talking about, but they also don't have the legal support. They don't know their rights and their their options. They don't. Uh, have legal representation to keep them safe through the process to protect them. And then um, I just also have a heart for younger people that may be college students or even high school students um, that, you know, may find themselves pregnant and not even know where to turn. And we want to get our name out there that we can support them, help educate them, help, like Michelle said, get them to a better place in life and uh, and help them because they're making the brave choice to place their their child for adoption. And, uh, and we want to support them through that. Definitely. Um, and I wanted to ask you about this because I think that, um, I mean, this kind of started with you back when, I mean, I remember it was winter of last year. So currently this is October that we're recording this and you just felt this pull away from what you had been doing in your law practice, which was primarily custody cases and um, just family law. And that was really dragging you down and burning you out. And you felt this pull toward adoption in some way. And that connection with Michelle, it's like, it just spiraled from there in a good way. Not a bad way, not a bad spiral, but (laughs) what was that like when you two, like a Tasmanian devil spiral, (laughs) right? (laughs) But when you two connected and you both realized that what you, you were not, you were feeling complacent in what you were doing and you felt God pulling you to something else. How did you guys figure out that God was pulling you together to do it? It was kind of crazy because I, I, like you said, I really felt God pulling me toward that and uh, just... Uh, something that my heart was was all in for, and, but I had no idea where to start. And, uh, you know, started talking to several different people, then some agencies. Michelle 
you know, said she was feeling the same thing. And then we met with, you know, certain agencies. I remember the day in my office that after going through several meetings, I said, you know, this is the gap. It is the birth mothers. You know, if we want to protect this adoption process, it's the birth mothers that are not protected right now. And, uh, and then we have shared beginnings. Yeah. Yeah. Similar to what Andrea said. Um, at the time last year, I was working for Walmart corporate headquarters and, um, for a long time, my goal in life was to affect their adoption benefits policy. And um, so I had just planned a big adoption awareness event in November. And that's kind of when Andrea and I started talking. And then come January, they um, announced the benefits policy changes. And they called me and asked if I would um, represent kind of the Walmart adoption family, uh, on the local news. Um, and so that was extremely cool, but it was sort of that feeling, okay, like what, what's next? Like what now? Like I reached this monumental goal in life that I felt like was potentially not attainable. And then it was like, now what? Um, cause I've always felt that pull towards, um, championing, adop- championing adoption, Um, but then kind of like Andrew said, through our discussions with other agencies and attorneys and, um, crisis pregnancy centers, um, we just came to this conclusion and things started clicking that, that it's, yeah, like she said, it's the expectant moms that really are being done, you know, kind of a disservice, um, throughout this process. All right, guys, sorry to interrupt, but I'm so excited to keep talking about my sponsor for this episode. So Little Box of Decorations helped me out so much with my daughter's party. She is like girly girl to the max, and she had to have a mermaid slash unicorn party. Their mission is like planning and decorating small events can be stressful, tiring, and time-consuming. Little Box of Decorations is here to save your party day. LBD provides all-in-one kits that include everything you need for your party, including table settings, decorations, and invitations, all delivered to your doorstep. There are curated kits available, or like me, they can work with you to design any custom party. No more running around town or stressing out about coordinating details or hoping your colors match or any of that. So you want to check out their website at littleboxofdecorations.co or follow them on Instagram at lbdecorations for all of your party needs. LBD is all of the party and none of the hassle. They are great and easy to work with and they won't even make fun of you when you come at them with a crazy idea like mermaid unicorn party. You guys are definitely going to want to check them out. Sarah Avery, who had a podcast um, in season one, um, came and started talking to us about what what she saw lacking in the process on her side as a birth mom. And then I went to an event and heard another birth mom speak and was that really weird person that went up to her afterwards and was like, I really need to talk to you. You need to come to our birth mom brunch. Um, And then we had someone just bravely show up at birth mom brunch. And so, um, and then we had another podcaster, you know, Lana and Rachel did an episode earlier. Um, And so those four ladies really um, kind of came together and um, are, 
sort of our core group that we bounce ideas off of, that we talk to. Um, Once we really have things up and running, they'd love to see just a um, support group started for birth moms in general, no matter how far you you are out from placement or if you're coming up to placement. Um, And so I'm really excited to get that launched and off the ground too. I think that's really cool. And I I wanted to highlight that because you guys are not just, um, I don't know, you're not just shooting out into nowhere and hoping it works. You're actually, you know, they're not even really your official board members, but you Mm -hmm. still have this separate group that you're wanting to, you're saying, you know, is this effective? Does this mean anything? Is this worth, worth our efforts? Is this actually helping? Um, and I think you guys, you know, you could have been looking at this strictly from a business standpoint. You could have been just trying to push the papers and sign the documents and get this done. And that's the big problem that you guys have seen, right? And and instead, you're doing your due diligence and you're making sure that what you're doing matters. Well, and it is a social thing. I mean, you've, when you've got, um, you've, when you're talking about birth moms, you're talking about some stress and emotions and all those things that go into you know, a pregnancy and, and a, making that difficult choice. So the people that we have to kind of like Sarah Avery and Lana, and I mean, you've got these people who have been there and have such a heart for it. We know that we could call them at any time and they would mm-hmm. come and help. They would come and counsel a birth mom. They would come and give us advice because they've been there and they realize how it is. And it can't just be pushing paper and pushing it through uh, legally or, you know, medically or anything like that, it has to have, you've got to have the compassion and the heart. And so God has really put these people in our circle that we know have that heart, have that same heart and are willing to do whatever needs to be done to help somebody, you know, personally and give them the compassion and the care and just sometimes just listening. Mm -hmm. I love that. So before we move on to just what you guys are actually tangibly doing and how people can help, I want to hear from each of you, what has been your favorite kind of wow moment? Like this, where you just sit there and you're saying like, this is awesome. This is, this is what we're doing. Gosh, I can think of, I can think of like four or five. I just, I know that at one point, um, not too long ago, I had a client and, and um, I was talking to her kind of about shared beginnings and we were waiting, we were at the courthouse. We were just waiting for something totally un unrelated and we had one we had a marshall of marshallese birth mother at the time with shared beginnings and then she said well i really have a heart for the marshallese people the marshallese community and i just i remember looking up and thinking really god i just did not expect to find that here you know and god is i mean she was really instrumental in putting some things together um you know and i think we'll be in the future i think god is just one of those examples that I think God is, he just has all these hearts prepared and he's, he's putting it all together. I can think of three or four more. I'll let Michelle talk. (laughs) I was going to say, I think one of yours would probably be our first birth when you got to be there at the hospital Yeah, and experience all that. Cause I've experienced it from the other side, but that was really cool too. And I got to, I got to actually um, take a picture, you know, with the, with the birth mother handing the adoptive parents the baby and take a picture of them together. And that was really cool. You're right. That was a big wow moment. Yeah. What about you, Michelle? So I think that like Andrea said, there's, there's been so many, um, but I mean, he, God has specifically put a couple people 
um, that have been really instrumental in helping us build this. One of them is uh, JDN, our bilingual translator and care coordinator. And she has just been awesome. Like she's our full-time volunteer who helps transport clients, who helps fill out Medicaid applications, who, and she was just like a friend of a friend and started by helping us with our first client and then has just like stuck around. And, um, I think that she's probably a self-proclaimed shared beginnings lifer, but um, which we'll take if she wants, if she wants to do that. Um, but um, she's been fantastic. Our board members, um, every time one of them says yes, it's just like crazy. Um, yeah, like the way that God puts those people in your path, like our most recent. Um, board member is an adoptive mom herself, is a certified mediator. She's been a CASA advocate. She acted as an advocate for her own birth mom. Um, she just totally gets this. And this was, you know, 17 plus years ago. And she was like, I'm so glad you guys are establishing this. Like this has been a need for so long. Um, but it's just it's it's amazing every time you have one of those um experiences. It really is. It's been a it's been a wild ride already. That's really cool. I yeah. I know I keep saying that's really cool, but it's just been really like I said, it's been neat to watch this unfold and see where you guys are now. And I know that, you know, every time I've said you guys have gotten so much accomplished or everything, you know, you're both like shaking your head over there like you haven't done anything yet, which is insane because you've done so much. <laughs> but um, I know that it might not seem like that from your point of view. So what are some of the things like where are you right now? What are some of the the programs and practices that you guys do have? in place and then where are you know where are you wanting to see yourself when you officially launch so um i would say logistically where we're at is everyone is just full-time volunteers um we just received our 501c3 status at the end of last week which was we filed for that in april and it is now October. So we got it in the end of September, but it was, that was an excruciating wait. Um, this week we have, um, the child welfare licensure, um, people are coming to visit our office and talk to us. So that's the next hurdle for us. Um, we feel like that's a necessary one just to make sure that everyone, including the court systems, adoptive parents, expectant moms, all understand that we're doing this as um, above board with the most transparency possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will have that kind of extra level of credentials, I guess. Um, we have started networking with vendors, um, but like soon we'll launch our kind of a capital giving campaign. And I know no one really loves that term, but <laughs> it is necessary. It's just like any other um, startup where there is like a certain level of investment that's needed. Um, but 
we're always looking for connections that um, people could provide personal hygiene items or detergent or larger size diapers, um, advocate volunteers. If you are a stay-at-home mom or someone with um, some additional flexibility in your schedule and you have compassion um, for moms who find themselves in these types of situations, like, come on, we can, we can use you. Um, we use advocates to take, uh, our clients to doctor's appointments and get their driver's licenses and, um, apply for WIC and all of the things. Um, so yeah, volunteers, giving resources, like we're fixing to need office supplies, and, yeah, um, things like that. Desks. I mean, there's just so many things that that are that we need to put in place. But you know, God's provided everything that we need so far. It's been incredible to see even tangible things like that. But yeah, we had to um, bu- we had to get a storage unit. I paid for a storage unit today because my garage is bursting at the seams, <laughs> which is amazing. So what I'm going to have them do for the show notes is provide me with a list of just some immediate needs, some things that are ongoing that, you know, those boxes can't ever really be checked, you know, that you're going to continue to need. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll have that in the show notes at the adoptive mom podcast.com for you guys to be able to help out if you're able. But, um, so, I mean, that's more on like the, the tangible, you know, uh, relationship wise. And, but what about on the legal end? What are some of the things that you guys have in place now and where do you see yourself going and what do you need to get there from on the legal side? Yeah, we are, um, well, I mean, most, most of on the legal side, we need reimbursement. I mean, case management systems, I guess mm-hmm. it would be the most important thing, which we have to develop for this whole, uh, for the whole, all of shared beginnings. It'll all be connected really legally. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, forms and things like that, that I take care of. There's nothing really, uh, nothing really that we need to acquire. It's just, it'll be nice when we hopefully do get uh, approved as a child placement agency and everything can go under one umbrella and, and, um, instead of having to go everything, have everything legally through my office. But right now, um, yeah, that's the, that's the smooth part. It's getting everything up to that point, taking care of it legally that, um, yeah, that that's the hardest work. Yeah. Well, and I know that, um, that, that combination of making sure that you're above board legally and above board, I mean, socially, I don't know what else, Mm -hmm. how else you would say it, but I know that those two things, marrying and staying consistent is not, has not been easy, especially because the other, um, the other services in our area have not always been above board. Um, and so I know for you, that was one of your initial goals, right? To make sure that you had a practice in place legally to, you know, that where the money was being um, I don't know, handled correctly. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, right. And, you know, administratively, I mean, that's the big thing right now uh, is, you know, getting a getting a system in place where it's under, it, you know, once we're approved and it can all be under one umbrella, the reimbursements, we want to do special reports that we've prepared, you know, for the court for every adoption that just show the transparency of, of expense reimbursement. Uh, the other side legally is when we have birth mothers that, or birth fathers too, I mean, that are, um, 
you know, they're making this, they're making the choice to place their baby for adoption because it's the best interest of their child at their station in life right now. But part of that may be that they have other legal problems that are unresolved. Mm-hmm. And that's part of, you know, our goal too, is we want to take care of any outstanding warrants. I mean, there are so many people that have outstanding warrants that have no idea. They just forgot to pay a parking ticket one year, you know, or something like that. Um so we want to take care of all of that. We at at the end of this process for them with this child that they're placing for adoption, we want them to be ready to go out and do, you know, do what God has in store for them after this and be in a better station in life at that time. Right. You want them to leave the hospital not feeling forgotten or abandoned, but feeling empowered, right? Because empowered. Is I a think good that word. that's that's right. been the, the situation. And, right. Yeah, I I say adoption is the process, but empowerment is our goal. That's exactly right. I like that. Yep. It's a good quote, Miss Michelle. <laughs> um, well, you guys, okay, so where can where can people find you guys individually and shared beginnings? So we are on Facebook. Um we're I guess I'm a bit of a super old social media soul, so that's the only channel we're currently on. (laughs) Uh, We do have a website, um, sharebeginnings.org, that you can find us at and reach out that way. Um, But yeah, willing to accept any any help, like happy to sit down with people and talk to them about their, their gifts and their strengths and just see where we can plug people in at. Andrea mentioned the case management system. So we'll be working to build out all of those forms in there and making sure it's accessible to, um, advocates and our care coordinators. So there's a plethora of things to get done. Yes. Um, my office number is four seven nine. 439-8881 and anybody can call with any questions at all. We're using my office right now to uh, operate out of it's your and, headquarters. Yes, our headquarters. <laughs> yes. And so uh, anybody that has any questions, I would love to sit down and, and explain more about what we do and, and how maybe God's calling them to help. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited you guys sat down with me. Um, like I said, you're, you're like VIPs of the podcast now and it's always fun to chat with you guys and it's, been fun to chat with you together because it's like you know brought this union to you <laughs> being silly now but thank you guys so much thanks for having us thank you so much for listening to the adoptive mom podcast i hope you found encouragement here i need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job we are all in this together and i am over here cheering you on don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at the adoptive mom thanks for joining us